Now, guys, um, we're going to look at one verse uh, tonight, and, and, and a rich one indeed it is. Um, it's, verse 17, it's verse 17, and it's often used in various discussions uh, concerning the kingdom of God. Let me read it to you. It's verse 17 where Paul says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, perhaps you can see what, what uh, richness is there, uh, particularly the, this whole definition of the kingdom of God. Um, that's a word, by the way, that's very rare in Pauline uh, writings. Um, he, in fact, in the whole book of Romans, he only uses the word kingdom once, and it's right there. But books are written about that one, that one text, 1 verse 17, um, about a definition of the kingdom and, and I understand that that can be used in that way, but I, I want to warn you of something because verse 17 is tucked in, in, a, in a context of this chapter, and the chapter is about Christians getting along better by eliminating the whole idea of our harsh judgments of one another. You cannot forget that. You cannot isolate, take verse 17 and isolate it and talk about the kingdom of God and all of its beauty, which we're going to in just a second. And forget the fact that it's in a paragraph. And the paragraph is Paul giving us reasons to an an argument, a very systematic reasoned argument, as to why we should stop all of our harsh judgments one of the other. And the whole purpose behind his statement here is, listen, y'all, the kingdom of God is not in eating and drinking and in holy days. The kingdom of God is righteousness and joy and peace. It's not that external stuff that you're using to uh, evaluate each other by. Um, it's, it's righteousness. It's, it's, it's peace. It's joy. It's internal stuff. It's not external stuff. Now, all I'm saying is, that, that is how it fits into this paragraph. Paul is trying to advance his argument that you and I should be nicer to one another and be nicer by eliminating all of these foolish judgments and evaluations one of the other by telling us that the kingdom of God does not consist of that stuff. It doesn't consist of what you drink. I know for some of you it might. It doesn't consist of what you eat. It doesn't consist of those holy days. It doesn't consist of those externals. It consists of this. So, because all that other stuff really doesn't have much to do with the kingdom, then it ought to lessen our our propensity to evaluate each other on that other stuff. And that's what legalism does. And we're going to talk about that before we close tonight, at least I hope. All I'm trying to show you is you must not isolate verse 17 and go talk about the kingdom of God. It's in a paragraph. And the paragraph has to do with his argument trying to speak to Christians about their propensity to evaluate each other based on all the wrong stuff. Okay, you got that? Um, All right. Uh, That said, um, what I do want to do is is I want to take a look at a a few of these words, because in in verse 17, the word kingdom is not not um, an often used Pauline word. 
but the word righteousness is. Um, we're going to come back and talk about our legalistic tendencies. We're going to come back. But I didn't want to miss the opportunity for, uh, once again, making sure that we understand the term righteousness. Now, guys, maybe you do, but I, I, I want to I share something with you. In fact, you can do this too. You can go to your computer and you can uh, Google um, the tower experience. You can put Martin Luther's tower. And before you ever get tower in there, it'll pop up for you because it's so often uh, Googled. But Martin Luther's tower experience, if you don't know what that is, I want to tell you about it. It has to do with this word righteousness, okay? Let me tell you this story first, and then we'll, then we'll get to, um, um, we'll, we'll get to the, the word. Well, actually, it's going to include the word. <clears throat> Again, keep your, your finger in, in Romans 14 and flip over to Romans 1 real, real fast, because Martin Luther would say that the verse that led him to a conversion experience is verse 17 of Romans 1. Look at it. For in it, the it has to do with the gospel, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Gang, um, Luther's conversion and his real breakthrough came about based on a correct understanding of that verse, primarily what is meant by the phrase, the righteousness of God. Luther had, for a long time, struggled um, to try and, you know, to rigorously keep God's law in order that he might become righteous. And so um, when, he come, when he came to Romans 1.17, this phrase, the righteousness of God, really got in his way. In fact, um, he, as a result of that statement, he even said, I did not love, yes, I even hated the righteous God who punishes sinners. Because of this phrase right here, this righteousness, by the way, that's the, the term that's found in Romans 14, 17. That's why we're over here. But for centuries, guys, the church had taught that the righteousness of God was, was God's active personal righteousness or his justice by which he punished unrighteous sinners. Um, and that concept terrified Luther. He said things like, struck my conscience like lightning, was like a thunderbolt in my heart. And so it was this, this idea of the righteousness of God that filled Luther with a, with a hatred of God. Um, I, I read, I mean, he, he owned that very clearly, that he hated God as a result of this idea of the righteousness of God because this was what God was going to use to judge unrighteous people like himself. And then the breakthrough came when he understood that this phrase was not talking about the act of righteousness that God demands from us. Guys, listen to me. Because this is a vital principle in all of 
all of Christianity and all of Protestantism, and all of Christianity, guys, when Luther understood that this, in Romans 1.17, was not referring to the active righteousness that God demands, but to a, to a passive righteousness that he freely gives to all of those who believe in the gospel, that was the thing that became the key to Martin Luther's conversion. That the sinner is justified by receiving rather than achieving. Do you hear me? It's the the difference between the gospel and the non-gospel, ladies and gentlemen. It's the difference between someone receiving and achieving. Luther talked about being saved by the alien, alien righteousness of God. And by that he meant it was a righteousness that was, that was foreign to him. He talked about it being extra nos, that is, outside of us. It was a righteousness not that he had to produce. It was a righteousness that was given to him. It was an alien right. It wasn't his. It was the righteousness of God. Look at that text. It's the righteousness of God is real for faith, as it the righteous shall live by faith. Righteousness was not achieved. It was received. And the <coughs> excuse me, the um, the instrument by which unrighteous people laid hold of the righteousness of God was faith. And it was that, ladies and gentlemen, in this tower experience that led to the conversion of Martin Luther. It's a fascinating thing that, um, that you and I sit here discussing the doctrine of justification by faith because Paul, because, excuse me, because Martin Luther... Was, was wrestling around in a tower, uh, and it's, it's even got a name. Um, uh, yeah, the Tower of Black Cloister, Cloister, Cloister in Wittenberg, which later became his home, by the way. But wrestling through that, he comes to this understanding, which we all are, are very conversant with, but the church wasn't then. And... This breakthrough came through when he understood that righteousness is something that's granted. It's not performed. Now, guys, the righteousness that that Paul mentions in chapter 14, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness. That's what he's talking about. It's this stuff. It's this, um, this righteousness that that is given by God in response to, well, and laid hold of by faith. Um, the kingdom of God consists of righteousness. It consists, and I won't spend too much too long on these other two words, peace and joy. But you see what he's, what he's done. Um, by his statement, he is condemning anyone and everyone who wants to turn the kingdom of God into something that is external. 
gang, um, when stuff like eating and drinking and these holy days, those are the three examples that he uses. Uh, uh, by the way, um, uh, look at verse 21. We'll get to this next week, Lord willing. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine. By the way, I, th- that's the thing that I introduced last week. It's in the text. When, when the church, when, when stuff like that, and let me just use that one because that's the one that everybody seems to know about in the 21st century evangelical south. When, the, when, the, when, the, when drinking wine becomes the point of real discussion and real debate amongst the people of God, it is simply a, a piece of evidence for how far removed we are from the interests of the kingdom. Paul makes very clear, the kingdom does not consist of eating and drinking. And so for us to spend 15 seconds debating that, simply demonstrates how far off how far from the, um, the kingdom of God we are. Because, you see, he says, of this the kingdom will consist. Righteousness and peace and joy. This stuff has nothing to do with it. So, ladies and gentlemen, from now on, we don't need to waste another word about that foolishness. Gang, um, um, <laughs> what, what, what we have in the South, in evangelicalism, um, is, um, is a mindset that attempts to evaluate Christians based on matters that are purely external. I, I've told you this before, but I mean, the text faces it with it again. Susie and I love to call it code living. That is, that there is a code that gets established by somebody. A code that doesn't have anything to do with verse 17. It has to do with the this, and the this, and the this, and the this, and the this. And um, the code, by the way, varies from group to group, or even from person to person. But um, what happens amongst evangelicals is that we use not these items uh, to measure the, the health of the body of Christ, righteousness and peace and joy. We use the code to measure the health of the body of Christ. Well, is uh, how many people are coming to church on Sunday nights? You know, we're in big trouble here at Grace of Anne because we don't even have a church on Sunday night. Um, but how many people are, uh, you know, uh, how many people are going to movies? Mm. Those are rated movies. How many people are, you know, 
we take a code and you can, you make your own. I'll tell you one. How many of those people speak in tongues? It varies from church to, from group to group. How many of those people, you know, uh, you know, share the four spiritual laws? Because that, ladies and gentlemen, we were raised in a church that the mark of Christian maturity was, could you do personal evangelism? That's, that's the environment out of which I came. If you did that, you were spiritual. If you don't do that, you're not spiritual. The kingdom does not consist of that, ladies and gentlemen. The kingdom consists of righteousness and peace and joy. So for us to maintain arguments other than this argument just just shows how far off we are from from the real thing. Guys, that kind of code living, which is nothing but legalism, spawns a real pride, a very ugly, ugly pride. Because we got the code, and if we measure, that is, we measure people by the code, and if, if, they're, if they're living up to the code, um, no, no, if they're not living up to the code, but we are living up to the code, then we then evaluate them as being less spiritually mature than we are. Because we're keeping the code. Um, Okay, ladies and gentlemen, you want some things by which to measure? They're right here in verse 17. Righteousness and peace and joy. How much joy do you have in the gospel of Jesus Christ? How much peace has been wrought in your heart as a result of understanding that Jesus Christ has finished the work? Necessary to save us. You know, I said this Sunday, and and this absolutely sends me over the edge. Um, You know, we lie. You know, that remember out of Ephesians 4, the first thing out of Paul's mouth in terms of uh, uh, a a piece of duty, he says, uh, put away all falsehood. And I said something like this. I said... um, Oh, we lie, <laughs> but we don't go to the movies. We lie, but we don't drink a glass of wine. Ladies and gentlemen, do you know why the code is so appealing? You know why code living is so appealing? It's appealing because we can do it. I don't need any aid from the Holy Spirit of God to stay away from my movie. Not a bit. I can do that in pure flesh. But to deal with my own brokenness and tendency to make myself look good in, in environments such that it'll evoke a lie? Oh, that, that takes the power of the Holy Ghost. Um, I, I want to show you this because, um, you know, I've told you uh, that I have been tempted on occasion to write a book. And then I tried to write one and and little Brooke was going to help me write my book, and Brooke is such an ass. I mean, if I were going to write a book, Brooke Gleason would be this enormous ass. No, no, that's not true. If I were good at writing a book, she would be an enormous asset to me. But I'm not good at writing a book. We tried. Um, she tried to make me feel good about it, but it was awful, and, and um, um, she lied. <laughs> um, 
But I, I want you to see this, guys. This is, this is the other book that I wanted to write. I was going to write a book on Jacob, but this is the other book. And I, I'd like you to turn there, if you would, to Luke chapter 11. <clears throat> this, is the, um, this is the text on which I wanted to base my book. It's, it's verse 42 of Luke 11, where Jesus is speaking and says, But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue, it's an herb, and every herb, and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. I wanted to entitle my book, The Society of Mint and Cumin. By the way, the, 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 I think the New King James, instead of rue, says cumin, which is just, a, it's just an herb. You can buy it at Kroger. Um, but So what Jesus is saying is, you Pharisees who love legalism, you are punctilious to take your stalk of mint. Mint. You know what mint is. You put it in your teeth. You took a stalk of mint, and it has um, 14 leaves on it. And so you say, okay, now I'm, I'm going to tithe my mint. So that means uh, 1.4 of those leaves. Well, that's under five, uh, half, so that means only one of the leaves. So I take one of the leaves off my stalk, and I tithe it. Give it to the, to the, to the priests. Um, while you're doing that, at the same time, you neglect justice, and the love of God. Now tell me, ladies and gentlemen, tell me this. Which one of those requires more Holy Spirit power? Love and justice? Or giving you a mint leaf? You see, I can do that. Because it's the code. I'm supposed to do that. The Pharisees told me I was. There's the rules, there's the code, and so, oh, I've got a stalk of mint, and I'm supposed to give one out of every ten of my leaves over to the priest. I can do that. But then the requirement of love and justice. Mm. Can't do that. I, I, will, I will call out to God to grant me some kind of internal strength to love and to do justice. But that other I can do. I can do without him. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the incredible ugliness of legalism. Because we establish a code by which we evaluate everybody on things that I say is important, which I can do completely apart from the filling of the Holy Spirit to aid me in that, and then I value everybody else by that code, and if they don't live up to it, I'm more spiritual than they. When in fact, woe to you Pharisees. Um, we, um, we might find ourselves in church every Sunday night, but on Monday morning, I'm on the phone just ripping into people with a tongue that's completely out of control. But I went to church on Sunday night. 
Ladies and gentlemen, you just got to know this. That is raw legalism. And all it does is communicate just how far you are from the kingdom. Because the kingdom consists of righteousness and love and or uh, peace and joy. That's what Paul's trying to say. That's, why, that's how it fits into the, the whole Romans 14 argument. He is saying that Christians sometimes don't get along because they emphasize externals like eating and drinking and holy days when that doesn't have a flip to do with the kingdom. What the kingdom consists of is righteousness. Righteousness that is mine because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. How much peace does that bring you, ladies and gentlemen? How much, how much joy do you take in that? You know, Martin Lloyd-Jones is one of my heroes. And Martin Lloyd-Jones um, said one time, the most serious sin among Christians is that they're not happy. <laughs> but I went to church on Wednesday night, and I've never drunk a glass of wine. You know, guys, I'm sorry to make this the issue. I, it, it is in the text, but I am not making it the issue. Southern evangelicalism is making it the issue. And I'm telling you, it's time to cease and desist. So, and why should we? Because Paul says... The kingdom doesn't consist of that stuff, for heaven's sakes. Stop it. You want to know what the kingdom consists of? There it is. There it is for you, ladies and gentlemen, right, right there staring at you. Um, and for every conversation that you can imagine yourself being in, where, you evaluate, where we evaluated each other based on, on some kind of did I do evangelism? Did I speak in tongues? Did I drink a glass of wine? Did I go to church on Sunday nights? Do I dance? Did I go to the movies? All those conversations. All they demonstrate is how, com- how, how distant we are from the interests of the kingdom of God. The person who is, who is serving Jesus Christ is the one... Um, who is going to be depicted by these words, righteousness, peace, and joy, um, instead of trying to sustain some kind of barren legalism based on a code that somewhere got developed by somebody. You know, guys, um, um, if you've ever been through our new members class, um, I start the new members class with a little eight-minute video clip that uh, you may still remember. To me, it's famous. I mean, it's, it's I, I think it's famous, but I mean, you may not remember. But anyway, there's a, there's a panel, you know, I was on this panel that went, uh, went down to Channel 3 and got, I was, Jimmy Latimer was sick or something, said, would you go down there and do that? And so I did it. And, and um and there was this panel of religious experts that were supposed to uh, uh, address very important religious matters. And, and uh, the religious question that was addressed to us was, uh, is it essential 
to be a member of a church to go to heaven. And the baffling thing for me, ladies and gentlemen, is we debated it. And there were two men on that panel. Of course, the Jewish rabbi didn't participate. He didn't give a flip whether you're, going to, you know, whether you're in a Christian church or not. I, I, don't, I don't blame him for that. But of the other eight of us, or nine of us, I mean it was, there were two people on there that said, no, no. But the others were saying, you need to do what Jesus tells you to do, this is almost a quote, and join a church. And then, of course, I replied something about the doctrine of justification by faith. And then he said, if you can prove that doctrine of justification by faith, I'll eat this book. Don't y'all remember that? I'll eat this book. Now, ladies and gentlemen, so this man has said, here's his code. Part of his code is church membership. To have that discussion just demonstrates that we are a fur piece from the matters of the kingdom, ladies and gentlemen, because Christianity does not consist of external stuff. It consists of inward graces. And I'm telling you, men are prone to cling to that external stuff because we can do that and thus take pride in our performances. I don't want to talk about it ever again, although I will. <laughs> I mean, um, in fact, uh, there's still some more in this text that we got that faces this. But um, I think what we're going to do after the first of the years, I, I want to just pull out some sermons that I did on, on Mark chapter 7 about Corban. You may, some of you may remember that. But it's a lot worse than what I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen. It's a lot worse. We'll, we'll talk about that later. But I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, the kingdom does not consist in church membership. It does not consist in church attendance. I hope you all will come to church, but it does not consist in that. It does not consist of um, uh, staying away from a movie or not dancing. It doesn't consist of any of that. So just stop talking about it. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. So stop talking about it. That's not in the text. It consists of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Knowing that, it ought to stop us from having the tendency to evaluate people based on external performances. Give it up, ladies and gentlemen. It's ugly, it's divisive, and it's nothing more than the fruit of spiritual pride. Our Father, I, I do pray that you will um, convince your people that um, the kingdom is something that's, that's wrought on the inside by the power of the Holy Ghost.
It's, um, it's a righteousness that was received and not achieved. It's a peace that is now tasted because we are no longer at war with you. It's a joy because we know that our, our soul's destiny is, um, is secure. And um, for every discussion that we've ever had about whether or not Christians ought to do this or Christians ought to do that, would you forgive us? And would you make us uh, students of, of your word, knowing that having received Christ, there is duty, but not a duty that, um, that can be performed in the flesh, but a duty that rises out of the fullness of the Spirit, leading us to emulate Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit. Do that for us, Father, and might there be great sweetness here because we would not ever dream of trying to evaluate one another based on a code. We commit ourselves to that and do so in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you and good night.